The following is a sermon from Pastor Timothy Borman and Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. Please stand out of respect for the words and works of Jesus. The Holy Gospel for this second Sunday in Advent is found in Matthew chapter 3. And if you're at home listening in on Zoom, you can open up your Bibles there to Matthew chapter 3. If you're here with me in the church, we're on page 10. And here is what the Holy Spirit gave to us through the gospel writer Matthew. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think, you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. One of the great scholars and great theologians of the last century by the name of Dr. Becker tells this story about when he was growing up. His pastor would ask him liturgically, like in the middle of the service, in in front of the whole congregation, to the whole congregation, he would say, do you heartily repent of your sins? Do you heartily repent? And Dr. Becker said that question would trip him up. He he got all the way to the part where he was able to say, yes, I repent, but heartily? Fully, with, with, with an undivided heart, truly, with a full heart, I repent. Sometimes he would think yes, and then other times he would almost want to say, well, 
I'm not sure or even, even know. Do you heartily repent of your sins? I suppose the reason why we're talking about this today is rather obvious. It's Advent, right? Advent is one of those times during the church where, where it's a time of wait. It's, it's hope. It's a time of faith. It's a time to recognize that God is coming. It's a, it's a time of repentance. And that's why the church, every single year, we want to hear from John the Baptist. We want to. Every single year, the second Sunday of Advent, you hear it where John says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And do you do it, by the way, heartily? St. Augustine actually said this. He said that most people don't. I read a quote. It said this. This is what he Many are not penitent, but they imagine that they are. They want to be penitent. They think that they are, but they really aren't. And so, and so what we want this morning is we want to really and truly fully hear John's call to repentance and understand, understand what, what hearty repentance really is. And there's three signs of harder repentance that I want to share with you this morning. Just three signs. And here's the first one, that you've got a list. You've got a list of sins. That's where harder repentance starts. There's a lot, there's a lot of extraordinary things happening in this story. Like you got John the Baptist with this extraordinary diet and he's in this extraordinary place in the desert, in the wilderness. And there's all kinds of extraordinary things that that we could point out but maybe the most ordinary thing the most miraculous thing that we're seeing here the, the most out of place thing is the very fact that we've got a bunch of people verse six here says and they are not confessing just us sin but sins that's what it says a whole bunch of people kind of pentecost just crying out while they're getting baptized, the Bible says, and they're saying, I committed adultery. They're saying, John, I'm angry all the time at God and everybody else. They're saying, John, I, I, I'm lazy when it comes to my work life. John, John, I really haven't loved God with a whole heart and I haven't loved my neighbor as myself. And they're going on and on. Like they've got this giant list of sins, and then John's plunging them all under the water for repentance. That's what the Bible says. That is an extraordinary thing people are able to list, and it must have been a rather long list of their sins. And I got to tell you, most people never even get that far with hearty repentance. They don't. Most people, most people come up with a rather skimpy list if they can list anything at all about the they have done to offend God and neighbor, they have a very small and wimpy list. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that, but I want to give at least one reason for that. It's because people, they don't even know the will of God anymore. Back in 2012, there was a story that came out, a movie uh, that came out based on the Ten Commandments. And the producers of the movie wanted to, they wanted to, um, give 
give the story of the Ten Commandments a little bit of a lift, see? And so they did a survey. They did a little bit of a questionnaire. And what they found out is this, that most Americans know the ingredients of a Big Mac better than they know the Ten Commandments. Like they know about McDonald's secret sauce better than they know like what the Ninth Commandment is. And that's sort of a damning thing, isn't it? They also found out this. This is even more stunning to me. That people could list more members of the Brady Bunch than they could the Ten Commandments. And I suppose if, if you could follow with me, like it would be really hard then. If you, if you can't even give like a list of the Ten Commandments, then it would be really hard for you to come up with a list of your sins because that's the only way to do it, see? Maybe you've already got a long list of your sins. Good for you. Then you're well on your way to harder repentance. If you don't, then I got three ways that you can get there. The first would actually be to compare your life to the Ten Commandments. Sit with it for a while. Really sit with it. Compare your life to the Ten Commandments and see how you've done. Third, second thing that you could do, open up the Scriptures and just start to read them. See if your life is anything like what the Spirit inspires in the Apostle Paul's life, for example. And if it isn't, then maybe you can add to your list. And then finally, if you go to those two steps in your state, you know what, I don't even have a list yet, Pastor. Then here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to someone who loves you, someone who knows you, someone who spends a lot of time to you, and you ask them. Ask your wife. Ask your ex-wife. She'll be able to tell you. Say, how well am I doing at loving God and loving you? Ask your, ask your son. Ask your brother or sister. They'll tell you. They'll say, here's, here's, here's your problem. I hope they say it in love and in all humility. And your list will start to grow. That's, that's the first sign of heart repentance, that you've actually got a list, that you can acknowledge that you've got some sins to repent of. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. The second thing is this thing that we call contrition. That we need to understand the magnitude of our sin. John, John, he wanted the people to understand the giantness of their sin. And, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees were not getting it, see? And so he really came out with it. He, he talks about fire a lot. First, First, he imagines that Jesus coming is going to be like Paul Bunyan. And he says there's a bunch of trees around. And Jesus is going to take those bad trees and he's going to whack them down and then throw them on the fire. That's what John says is going to happen. And then he changes the metaphor, but it's still fire. And he says Jesus is going to be like this of sorts, and he's going to be the one that's separating the grain from the chaff, and then he's going to take the chaff, and he's going to throw them on a fire, but this is a divine fire. This is a judging fire, because this is a fire, quote, that is unholy. 
Unquenchable. Fire. That's what John says. Now, it would be one thing if, if the judge, when he sees this list of sins, and he's like, oh, it's not a big deal what you've done. This is a little bit like shoplifting. See, you get six months. Or, or the judge says, you know what? Um, what you did is sort of like manslaughter. You didn't mean to do it, so six years. That's... That's not the magnitude of our sin, is it? It's not what John says. What he says is the magnitude of our sin is eternal fire. That's what he says. Now, now here's the truth. A lot of I, I told you before, most people never get to the point of listing their sin. Even less people get to the point of of noticing the magnitude of their sin before God. Most people never get here. Sometimes I wonder why. I think it's I think there's several reasons for it that, that people become like beavers in water or like ducks in the rain, and it just sort of rolls off their back where, where people they turn to their favorite modern theologian. <laughs> and they're like, I heard that the pastor down the street says that hell's not real. Well, John says it is. Or people are like, oh, pastor, he's, he's really, you know, he talks this morning off about the hell's fire. And then in your mind, you're like, click, let me change the channel. I'm wondering who's winning the World Cup game right now. And we distract ourselves from it for a second. But John doesn't want us to be distracted. I think that's one of the reasons why he's out in the desert. There's nothing else going on except to let the Word of God sort of sink into your heart. And here's the truth about, about this is a law message. And here's the truth about the, what the Spirit wants to do with this message. He wants to push into your heart what Christians for thousands of years have called contrition. We don't like to think. We don't like to think that God wants to put sadness and horror in your hearts about the way that we, we appear before God. But the truth of the matter is, the theologians have called it, this is the alien work of God. God doesn't want to do it, but He has to do it because of who we are. We are sinful, and the magnitude of our sin reaches to heaven. And until we we'll never make it to a heart of repentance. It's not enough for, for Taylor Swift to say, I'm the anti-hero. She would have to go on and say, and what, what I deserve because of that is unquenchable fire. And that we need to get that too. That would be the second sign of a, of a heart of repentance to be able to say what we already confess that this is what I deserve. It's not what I get. It is, though, what I deserve. Our third sign of repentance is this. That we would then look to Jesus in faith. 
Because repentance, people have asked this question, it, is it true repentance if I both acknowledge my sin and then I feel the terror and the sadness in my heart? And the answer to that question is no. Because Judas, he acknowledged his sin and he felt it in his heart and he was not repentant. Saul, Saul, he, he acknowledged his sin and he felt it in his heart. Never arrived at repentance because the most important part of repentance is this thing that we call faith. That we, we would put our eyes squarely on Jesus. And that's what, that's what John says. He says, repent. This was his message. For the kingdom of God is near. In other words, this was as much as you said, dear sinner, since we cannot go to heaven, heaven comes to you. Dear sinner, since we cannot make it on our own, God for us. John's main message was this, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And until we get that, we need to turn from inside ourselves, from seeing what we rightly deserve, and turn outside of ourselves and see Christ and what He has done. And only then, when we arrive at this place where we're no longer looking inside, but outside to His cross and for the full remission of sins, only then can we truly say, that we have a hearty and full repentance. Repentance never ends in terror and sadness, but always in a quiet joy at knowing that we have been fully and totally forgiven in Christ. I was sitting with someone earlier this week, and I was talking about this very bad to go around and talk to people about what I'm about to preach on. And this woman, she, she broke into a story of sorts. She said, oh, pastor, I know what repentance is. One time, my friend, she did one of those really bad sins. Like, like the kind that you can't even say out loud, like the really bad ones. And you maybe, maybe know, you maybe know the ones that I'm talking about. You know, it's not often, but sometimes in our lives, we're just put on our knees like, oh, God, I can't believe I did that. And this woman had done one of those things. And what she decided to do was for three days, she was going to fast and she was going to pray to God and beg God that God would forgive her. But this, I thought to myself, this is not true repentance. Repentance be to acknowledge the sin, to experience the magnitude of it, but then just as quickly as you can to believe that it is fully and truly forgiven and to leave it in the past. That's what repentance is. Two parts. Contrition and faith. Early this week, I picked up a, a a Christian manual of sorts. It's a 500-year-old book. They call it the Enchiridion. And in this book, what a pastor is supposed to do is to help people to examine their repentance. I've tried to do that this morning. To help you before God 
to think about your life of repentance. And I hope you have. And I hope you continue to do that during this season of Advent, that you would take time first to make that list. <laughs> to acknowledge that, that not everything is right in your life, that actually a lot of things are wrong. And if you need to, turn to the person next to you and ask them. But not to stop there, to realize the magnitude of it, and then just as quickly as you can to turn to Jesus, who is fully and completely forgiven. That's hearty and true repentance. Amen.